Thanks, Josh. Appreciate that. And uh, it is a real joy and a pleasure to be here this evening and exciting uh, to see what Josh, Cheris, Andy, and Sarah have uh, labored over and prayed for and see the birth of this new church here. So we pray for you guys often. Uh, we celebrated your baptism, Charlene, at our church also, and Cess. We showed you, hopefully that was okay. We showed you all's picture. I guess we should have gotten permission, uh, but maybe I'll get in trouble with this later. But uh, our church was, man, like super happy and excited to hear about your all's baptisms. We actually baptized some people at the same time you guys were doing it, uh, but earlier in the morning. So whatever, that same day. So, uh, but yeah, just uh, find it an honor to be here with you guys this evening. So Here's what I want to do real quick. I know it was a long passage of scripture, but it is like one little unit. And all I want to do here this morning or this evening, sorry, I usually preach in the morning. So if I say morning, uh, just know that I mean evening. Uh, I just want to highlight what I think is a theme in the, these, this passage here from uh, chapter 2, verse 17 to the end of chapter 3. And then uh, after highlighting, I just want to, uh, I've got a couple of invitations. I, I pray the Lord will. Um, encourage us with. All right. Um, as Josh said, I've got four boys. Uh, they are 23, 20, uh, 16, and 13. So my 13-year-old, whose name is Davin, uh, is getting ready to kind of, they call it eighth grade promotion is what they call it now. So they, he's getting to do all that uh, tomorrow evening. And so this is our our last kid in middle school, it's, it's kind of weird. We feel like there's a, a chapter of our life is sort of closing, and maybe the middle school is excited because it's the last jury in that school, for crying out loud. All four of them have been in there. Um, so they're finally saying, yes, we finally got rid of the juries. Um, but it has been a, um, a bittersweet time. I don't know. It, it's just been one of those times where I find myself getting emotional at weird times uh, as I think about my kids as they get older and, and closing a little bit of a chapter of our life. Well, a couple weeks ago, he had his final eighth grade choir concert, uh, which was really emotional for us as a family. And in this choir concert, one of the things that the, the choir director has them do is they, that all the eighth, grade, eighth graders have an individual that'll come up and give them a rose. I don't know how that individual is decided. I think somehow the, I don't know if the eighth grader asked, I don't know how it works out, but uh, there was a seventh grader that's a good friend of Davin's. I think his name is Logan, and I may, he's not here to correct me, so it doesn't matter. You guys know him as Logan. Um, and so what, what would happen at the end of the concert, the eighth graders would be on the stage, and then all the kids that are giving the rose would be like down this little middle aisle. And, and as you know, with, uh, with middle school kids, they're all really awkward. It's just, it's an awkward stage. All of us remember that. Amen. It's like, we thank God we're not in sixth or seventh or eighth grade and weird stuff is happening to you. You just don't, you're just, your whole body's just not functioning right. Amen. All right. And it's really, really funny when uh, these kids are trying to show like affection. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so weird. And so, uh, and what I mean by that is it's not like, it's just, they don't know what to do. So, you know, they'd have the little kid, they would announce the eighth grader, they would come up uh, and I kind of come to the side here, the, the little seventh grader or sixth grader would hand them the rose and they would either try to handshake or a kid would go in for a hug and the other kid was not doing a hug or, you know, they would do a fist bump and they would just shake their, I mean, it was just, oh, just so, um, so awkward. It just, it, and awkward in a good way where you just laugh about it because it's like, this is just middle school, amen? It's like, they don't, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to show any kind of affection, but not the case for Davin my youngest, um, like there was no questioning what was going to happen when this happened. I brought a picture of what 
their, their little exchange happened right there. Davin is my, is the kid that's embracing Logan, obviously. They didn't even get the flower to him yet, but there was, there was no question as far as like, hey, th- we're going for a hug. There's no handshaking. There's no high five. There's no awkward side hug. No, we are going for a hug. And, uh, and that's a, a, an evidence of the spirit of this little guy. Uh, and I'm just so, so thankful for him. Uh, one of the things I, I think this is a fruit of, and if Kathy was here, I would say this to her, and I said it before, but I do think this is a fruit of my wife, Kathy's work as a mom. Um, she has been um, an incredible mom, obviously not perfect. None of us are perfect, but she has been an incredible mom, one who has um, given tirelessly and sacrificially her love. And all of us, um, most likely, if we grew up in somewhat of a healthy home or a product of a love from a parent, either a mother or a father, a love that's um, sacrificial, a love that's unconditional, a love that's thankless at times. Um, and the reality is, is there's, a, there's a, a fruit of that. And part of that fruit, uh, I see it in Davin and I see it in all my boys where there's a willingness to embrace and to kind of show and share their love that they actually got from their mom in a very beautiful way. And so that's what I want, as weird as this may sound, I wanna highlight that aspect of love in this passage. And you're probably wondering where in the world did I get that? Because the only place you hear about love is in verse 13. It's the prayer at the very end of that where he says, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in love for one another and for everyone just as we, and that we is obviously including Paul, do for you. And so what I want to do quickly is I want to I wanna show you in this little passage uh, like three little areas where we see uh, Paul kind of highlighting the kind of love that he had for these followers of Jesus Christ in Thessalonica. Now, it's interesting. Uh, this is probably one of the earliest letters that we have in the New Testament. Uh, it was written around maybe around 50 AD. And the interesting aspect of this is that uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy went to Thessalonica, planted this church, and because of the intense persecution uh, that was going on in this time, they had to leave within weeks after planting the church. I mean, like a, a month. So just imagine if, you know, Josh and Sherita showed up for a month and they started it and said, we got to go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, we're out of here. We're going somewhere else. And so that's exactly what happened with this church in Thessalonica. And uh, they had not heard anything from Paul or Silas or Timothy for almost three years. And just, you know, I'm, not, I'm stating the obvious. They don't have internet. They don't have, like, they don't have any way of connecting. You know what I'm saying? They have not heard anything from Paul for three years. And so you can imagine uh, the sort of kind of narratives that are being spread about who Paul is. Because, you know, the, you know, traveling speakers and preachers and missionaries in that time were not just unique to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They had all kinds of traveling sort of preachers, speakers that would come into town, do their deal, and then leave. And because of that, it, it caused people to make up narratives about Paul. And one of those was that, hey, he was only here for a month and you haven't heard from him in three years. Look, he does not care for you. He doesn't give a rip about you guys. He was a charlatan, just like all the other traveling teachers. Come in, do their thing, got their feel, got their selfish, whatever desires met, whatever it is. He does not care for you. 
And what's interesting is that what we see in this lengthy text is Paul is speaking the very opposite of that. He's saying, no, 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 don't, don't believe these lies. No, I, I deeply, deeply love you all. And I want to highlight a couple of places where you see this. The first one you see and how he kind of explains his absence. You see this in verse 17 of chapter two. Look what he says here. But it's for us, brothers and sisters, which is affectionate language. This is really affectionate language that he's using here. After we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. Verse 18. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. So the, the language that he uses here to describe uh, him leaving them, he uses this word forced to leave you. The NIV, the New National Version says, we were torn away from you. It literally means, or literally can be translated, we were orphaned when we were separated from you. So the emphasis of this language, this, this little phrase that he's using here is trying to help them know the kind of pain that they, he experienced when he had to leave them so quickly. He feels like he was orphaned away from the church. It gives us a sort of a window into the, the love that Paul had for them, that he feels so, such deep anguish for having to be separated from them. I think all of us have heard the old saying, out of sight, out of mind. Well, that was not the case for Paul. Out of sight, yes, I wasn't seeing you, but man, you guys were not out of my heart. And their effort to try and go and see them face to face was and were hindered by Satan, it was because of this emotional love and desire that he had for these followers of Jesus Christ in Thessalonica. So that's one place we see this, this kind of a window into the heart of Paul of how much he loved them. The second place you see it here is in chapter three, uh, verses one through five, when he, um, he actually sent Timothy. And there was, a, there was an enormous sacrifice for Paul to do this. See this in, starting in verse one, when it says this, therefore, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. And so then therefore we sent Timothy, skip down to verse five and you see this, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that your labor might be for nothing. So two times in these five verses, Paul says, we could stand it no longer. We could stand it no longer. So then therefore, because we couldn't stand it any longer, we had to find out how you were doing, which, which gives us a kind of a window of how much he loved them. Indifference does not communicate love. Amen. It actually communicates the very opposite of that. And that's not what we see with Paul. So we could not stand it any longer. We had to find out how you guys were doing. And you know, I, I see this even with our two oldest boys, and I know it probably annoys them to death, but we will text them almost daily, you know, just uh, like, hey, how you doing? What's, what's going on in your life? How was work? Did you? And I know it annoys them. They usually don't respond to like two days later. But part of the reason why we do that is because of our love for them, because they're yeah, they're physically not with us, but man, there is a desire. We're not trying to be nosy. We're not trying to be annoying, but there's a parental desire to know what's going on in their life. Why? Because we love them. We love them deeply. And that's the same thing that's going on here with Paul. This, this desire to know how they're doing is because of this deep love that he has for this community. And you also see this in the... Um, 
when they um, translate the word we, uh, most scholars are, are a little bit on a debate on who the we is. And what I mean by that is the we, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, or is the we just Paul and Timothy? I lean, I'm not going to go through the reasons why because that would bore you, but I lean more toward that the we is Paul and Timothy. So that when, when Paul sent Timothy out to go check on them and see how they're doing, that was at great sacrificial cost on Paul. Because then therefore, Paul is in Athens at this time and he's left all alone without any Christian community because he's in Athens in order to plant a church. And so... Having Timothy go means I'm losing all Christian community. I'm losing basically my closest friend and I'm gonna be isolated in a community that does not have one follower of Jesus. And every single one of us, most of us probably have a season where we know exactly what Paul is feeling as far as loneliness and being isolated. If you ever came to faith in Jesus Christ when you were in high school and your whole friend group completely changed and you felt like you're the only person that's really trying to follow Jesus here. Or if you, you know, went to college and you said, all right, I'm gonna venture on my own. You know what I'm saying? Like I remember uh, like it was yesterday when we dropped off Joseph at college. Oh my gosh, this is such a horrible memory, honestly, because he went to a school where he did not know anyone, nobody. And I remember him, like we were going to our car, we gave him a hug and I kissed and he says, all right, I think I'm gonna go over here and try to meet somebody. And mom and dad drive off. And I, I'm telling you, man, it was a, an emotional moment for like the two and a half hour trip. Just the, the feeling of isolation that I know Joseph felt for those few months that he was there at school. And so, so just think about this and put yourself in Paul's shoes. So it, sometimes we read that he sent Timothy we assume he's got a big old church community. Oh, I wasn't a big deal. No, him sending Timothy left Paul completely alone. And the reason why he did that is because he loved them deeply. That's what love does. It's sacrificial by nature. So Paul's love for them extends beyond just concern, but it was actually really costly to him. The third place you see this as he tries to highlight his love and care for this community. You see this in verses 6 through 10 when uh, Timothy comes back with a report of how the church is doing. Look what he says here starting in verse 6. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and you, you long to see us as we long to see, you, see us. So there's a mutual longing here. There's a longing that Paul has to see them. And he found out that they also had the same kind of longing for Paul. There was no animosity toward Paul because he left so quickly. No, there was a, a mutual love between them. So beautiful to see that. Verse seven, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. Verse eight, for now we live. If you stand firm in the Lord. Uh, so the report that was given back to them was so encouraging that it says there, for, for now we live. The little phrase can also be translated, uh, this has given us life, or now we can actually really live. And, and what's trying to, what Paul's trying to communicate there is that we can finally breathe. And it doesn't mean like, obviously he wasn't holding his breath for three years. That would be stupid and dumb. That's uh, not literally what's going on here. But it, 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 if, you, if you've ever been in a situation where uh, you go to the doctor and they say, oh, we found something that's kind of weird. 
We need to do some more tests. You wait on those tests. It's usually like a couple weeks. During those couple weeks, what's going on with your physical body? You're kind of anxious, aren't you? And, and in a metaphor way, you're kind of holding your breath until you get that phone call back from your doctor. And then when you get the phone call and they say, hey, you know what? It's nothing. No big deal. What happens then? You kind of exhale and you, can, you say metaphorically, for now, we can breathe. We can kind of have a, a, a relief, so to speak. Well, that's exactly what's going on here with Paul. When he hears about the good, re, good results of what's going on in this community, how they're thriving in faith and love and hope for not only one another, but for the community there, he can, he can finally sort of breathe. And the reason why there's such an emotional response is the depth of love that Paul has for this community. And I know I'm beating the same drum, but I'm trying to make a point here because I think this is what Paul is trying to do here. He's trying to help them see, look, my, my love is not just in word. My care is not just in word. No, there is a deep emotional love that I have for this community. And I'm, I'm wanting you to feel this. And this is just a little writing here by, by the way that we had to be taken away from you, by, by this, this sacrificialness that I did by sending you Timothy. And then once we hear the report of like, they're doing great great. It's, it's like we can now kind of exhale. And it's interesting. If you look at this, it seems like um, Paul is quite unselfconsciously, which means he's not shy or embarrassed. Imagine Davin with his embracing of Logan here. He's willing to bear his heart of love for this community. He left them with great reluctance. He had tried time and time again to visit them, waiting on news of their of the, you know, how they're doing. The suspense was unbearable. So he chose to, to be alone and send Timothy at great cost to himself. And when Timothy comes back with good news, he's ecstatic. He's, he's overjoyed. He's, he's pouring out his heart for them in prayer. His life was inextricably bound up with theirs, not in some kind of unhealthy, enmeshed way, but in a healthy way, he wanted to know how they are doing. And if you span back, and bring in all of chapter two, you feel this overwhelming love and care that Paul has for them. He expresses it in the metaphors he uses. He likens himself as a mother with their infant. He likens himself as a father. He felt and acted toward them like they were his very own, own children. And in fact, you can make the argument that spiritually speaking, they were because he was the one that shared the gospel with them and they all came to faith in Jesus Christ through the ministry of Paul. Paul fed them and taught them. He earned his own living so that he would not be a burden to them. If you read chapter two, he says, I work day and night. And that's not metaphoric hyperbole. You know, we all have a, a tendency to say, hey, I worked 60 hours this week, you know, or 70 hours. And maybe, maybe you did, but Usually if we clock ourselves, it's more like 40 or 50 if you take away bathroom bakes and talking to everybody. But not Paul. He's not speaking hyperbole here. He really literally worked day and night so that he would not be a burden on this community. Why? Because he loved them. I mean, that's what you do when you're a parent with your kids, right? You don't, I mean... There are times when they get like 16, 17, like go get a job and start paying for your own gas. Amen. Like that happens in our home. It's like, I'm done. Here's my limit. Right. But you don't do that to an eight year old. Right. You don't do that to a 10 year old. Why? Because you love them. That's not a burden for them to carry. You're their parent. Paul goes on. He 
Uh, he's concerned to see them grow and mature. He is gentle and sacrificial in all of his dealings with them. Go home and read chapters one through three and you will feel Paul's love for this community. I love how John Stott says this in his little commentary on this book. It's kind of a long quote, but it's here. Uh, what is this extravagant language? I have sometimes asked myself, what is this loving and longing, this intolerable suspense when there was no news and this overwhelming joy when the news was good, this affectionate care, fervent prayer, this sense of intimate solidarity with them so that this life was wrapped up in their life and theirs and his. My answer is that it is the language of parents who are separated from their children, who miss them dreadfully and who are profoundly anxious when they have no recent news of them. Pastoral love is parental love. That is its quality. The one thing I would just kind of like nuance in this quote, and it's hard for me to say that because I have immense respect for John Stodd and he's passed away. Um, but I would say this, that yes, this is pastoral love. And you better believe it. I can, I can attest this to Josh or any of the pastors here. Like, this is the kind of love and affection they have for Storyline. I tell us that, you know, my church at home, if, if, if you're going to be a pastor here, this is what it means to be a pastor. You're about people first. That's what it's about. It's not about strategy. It's not about, you know, you know figuring out how we're doing things. It's not about, like, changing stuff. All those things have their place, and we do that, yes, Please hear me. But the priority is people and our love for them and how we show them that love in tangible ways. That is for sure. But the only thing I would nuance in this quote is I would put before you that it's not just pastoral love, that's Christian love. That's all of us. So it's not just for some if you want to use this language, varsity group of Christians, if you look at pastors like that, but please bear me, they're not varsity. Right. We're all freshmen, JV, you know, barely making it at times. I would just say it's not this elite group of Christians, it's for all of us. This is the kind of love that's possible for every one of us in this community, for one another, and for those that are outside this community. And just in case you think I'm crazy in saying that, but that's exactly what Paul said in his prayer. Read it again, verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with what? Say it out loud. Love. For one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. So think about this, guys, just for a second. Think about what God, through his son, Jesus Christ, is doing in the very life of Paul. Paul is... Is, is coming out of, through the work of Jesus Christ, having a, a, a life that is bent inward, that is, that is fleshed out in hatred toward a community of people that they called the way, who were followers of Jesus Christ. That's who he was before he met Jesus. He hated them, so much so that he persecuted them and killed families. Like, sometimes we sanitize that, guys. He was murdering families because they followed Jesus Christ. That's who he was before Jesus. A man who was bent inward, who flowed out hatred towards someone else that believed something different than he did. And then he met Jesus. And what did Jesus do? 
He changed his heart. And he became a man whose embrace became wider and whose love grew larger toward not just people that were followers of Jesus Christ, but toward everyone. And I would put before you, even though we don't have record of this, I would put before you that even the people that eventually cut his head off and martyred him, he expressed love toward them because that's what God does in us. You see, the the goal in formation or the goal of discipleship, the goal of maturity Please hear me. Knowledge is really, really important. And I want to grow in knowledge. I've got a stinking master's degree for crying out loud. I want to grow in knowledge. I read my Bible. I read tons of books. Yes, it's all there. But the end goal of that is so that I can love more. That's the end goal. God is after growing our capacity to give and receive love. That's the end goal of formation. That's the end goal of discipleship. And I would put before you that if you are not growing in love, then you are not being discipled by Jesus because that's what Jesus does. He is is raising our capacity for us to love God and to love one another. And I get it. Please hear me. I get it. There needs to be all kinds of nuance with this, all right? And I don't have time to nuance all of this. I've just got a little bit of time to talk about this because I, I get a lot of us have been hurt and wounded and betrayed in relationships, which, which then therefore has an impact on how we love one another, all right? That is a given. And so what I want to say to that is that, yes, that is true. And at the same time, What God through his spirit is doing in your life is trying to move the needle, as one of my good friends would say, a little bit to where your heart is a little more open wide to receive and give love. It may look really different depending on your story, but that is what God is doing in your life. His end goal with you is that your capacity to love would grow. And you see this with Paul. Oh my goodness. This is not the only place you see it, but this is a beautiful highlight of what God has done through Jesus to grow Paul's capacity to love people. And that's what he's after in your life. And that's what he's after in my life. So in light of that, all right, and I get it. There's probably all kinds of questions that arise from that, and I would love to answer as much as I can this evening. So if you've got some questions, come find me at the end of this little talk. So, but I want to offer a couple of invitations in light of this, this, this display of love that Paul has given to us, and God's end goal with all of us and as followers of Jesus Christ is to grow our capacity to love. So in light of that, I just got two invitations for you, all right? And then I'm done. The first one is this. You have to receive the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. You you cannot do this. You cannot raise your own capacity of love. You cannot receive and give love that you desire to do without first receiving the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, why do you say that, Lyle? Because unresolved guilt always damages the capacity to love. Unresolved guilt always damages 
the capacity to love because the guilty self feels that it deserves punishment. And Jesus is the only one who's taken all of our punishment so that all of us in this room, including me, can be fully forgiven and our guilt fully removed, which then opens the pathway of our hearts to expand in their capacity to love. So this is not just what the pastor has to say. This is, this is paramount. This is the, the first step and the, the largest step for you to be able to, to love in the way that Paul is loving here. And I would even put before you to love in the way you desire to love, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not. This is where it starts because you have to have your unresolved guilt dealt with. Otherwise, you're always gonna be damaging people with your love because your love will be self-serving. So first is you have to receive the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And I would invite you to even do that this evening. Secondly, and I think this is the, the ongoing work. Um, and honestly, I think it's what takes a lifetime of learning. Not only do you need to receive the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Secondly, I would say this, you've got to let God love you. You have to let God love you. Here's the, um, the irony of Christianity, and here's the irony of this kind of love. Um, undeserved love is the only kind of love that can bring about a radical change in your life as we see in Paul, right? Because deserved love and love that you earn does not bring about that kind of change. But an undeserved love that we get through God by his son, Jesus Christ, is the only love that when we receive it, it changes us to our very core. The irony is this, is that is the very thing that keeps us from letting God love us. It's easy. I'll just personalize this, all right? It's easy for me to stand before you right now. It's easy for me to sit with someone in my office. It's easy for me to sit with my kids and say, man, God loves you. Oh my goodness. He is crazy about you. He sings over you. When he thinks about you, a big old smile comes on his face. He loves you infinitely. I'm telling you what, I can say that with extreme confidence. I can say it in an office. I can say it on a stage. I can say it with my boys. But when I sit by myself and try to say that to myself and say that God loves me like that, it is really hard because I know my sin. I know my failings. I know my apathy. I know my lukewarmness. I know my unfaithfulness. And for me to, to let him love me and receive that as true of me, that's really hard. That's why I said it's a lifelong work. And my, my gut, and I don't know, met a few of you tonight, right? My gut, that's a lot of us in this room. I'll try to illustrate it like this. Um, 
And Joseph, my 20-year-old, just finished his second year at Cedarville University, which is a school uh, in Ohio, right between Columbus and Cincinnati. And so um, right before he started there in 2020, the, the president of the school reached out to me and said, hey, I'd love to get you to come and speak at chapel. And so he got me on a date in the fall of 2020. Um, and so, as you know, that was like in the, you know, this was before COVID hit. This was like in January of 2020, he reached out to me, I'd love to get you to come and speak in the fall. So I said, yeah, we've got a date down. Then COVID hit and then um, all kinds of stuff had to change when they had to do chapel. I mean, as far as like just they didn't have outside speakers in, they, they have chapel every day, but they end up doing it like online most of the time. Just a lot of things they had to do in order to, to meet COVID protocols and stuff like that. So, so he reached out and said, look, hey, um, we're not going to have you come and speak. We we'll might catch you in a later date. And so for me, um, I don't... Um, love doing those things, honestly. Like I'm, you know, maybe 30 years ago in my 20s, I thought, oh, I've been awesome, you know, but I'm just like, creates a ton of anxiety. I'm like, I'm good with where I'm at. I don't need to go anywhere. So it's actually a huge relief when I found out like I got canned or whatever. Uh, and in my mind, I'm going, I'm out of sight, out of mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not going to remember me, which is fantastic. So, um, so yeah, then I got an email uh, this past fall Somewhere around October or so, sure enough, Dr. White reaches out again, says, hey, I want to get you back for chapel, and here's the dates in the, in the winter, in February, he gave me a few dates, love to have you come out, you know, let me know what would work good for you. So um, I got that email, and I'm serious, man, my, my stomach got, like, just sunk, and I was not, and I was like, oh my gosh, I was hoping he would have forgotten about me. And so I sent him a date. We ended up doing one at the end of February. And I come to find out a little bit later that my 20-year-old, Joseph, had emailed Dr. White. <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, Dr. White, you uh, said you were supposed to have my dad come out in the fall of 2020. You've not reached out to him uh, since then. And I think you need to you know, reach out to him and have him come speak at chapel. Basically, that's what he said. And then... Sure enough, Dr. White sends me an email. I had no idea that he did that, and I was not very happy with him when I found out about it. Oh, but man, he was uh, so excited to have me come, like almost like embarrassingly excited about having me there. Um, and then we were in, it's a massive little auditorium. What's well, massive little, that's really weird. It's, it's a big auditorium, uh, pretty big student body. And they sat, him and about... 10 of their friends sat on the second row. And then Dr. White, you know, came up and introduced me. And then as soon as he said my name, like that little row stood up and erupted with applause. And then all of a sudden, like I'm sitting where you are, Josh, and I saw in my peripheral, jo uh, Joseph holds up this massive poster of, a, of me, a face, my big, big head on a poster. Like they're screaming, yelling, like, having him come up on the stage. And here's a picture of it. Here it is. There's my, this, this doesn't even do it justice. Get to the other one there. It's like massive. Look how big that thing is. I've got it at my house. I don't know what to do with it right now. Is this ridiculous? But I'm telling you what, he was so excited to have me uh, there. So proud to have me come and speak uh, at his chapel. Went great and really enjoyed my time with him. But here's what I... Um, I found myself, uh, as I reflected on that, as well as even in the moment, it was so hard 
for me to receive how proud he was of me. It was so hard. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't let him know that, but internally, like it was so hard for me to let him be proud of me. Why? Because I know how I've failed him as a dad. I know how my words have wounded him. I know how I've sinned against him. I know probably eventually he'll go to counseling because of me and say, yeah, my dad did whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, like all of that, I know really well, which makes it really, really hard to receive how proud he was of me. And if that's what's happening horizontally, it's also happening vertically. One writer says this, we grow in Christ no further than when we enjoy his embrace of us. Did you hear that? We grow in Christ no further than we enjoy his embrace of us. And what I would add to that and letting him love you is how you enjoy his embrace. So for some of us today, what we need to hear from Jesus and what we need to receive from Jesus. And maybe even as you go home, you have your kind of, well, keep a hand on a wheel, right? Maybe the other hand's like open, right? And you just hear this, you're his joy. You're his joy. He's first and foremost revealed as God the Father. You're his joy. You're his crown of boasting. You're his bride, and he deeply loves you. So not only do you receive the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ, but do the lifelong work of letting him love you so that, so that this love can be experienced with others. That's what he's after. He wants his love to be overflowed through your life, and that cannot happen unless you first Receive it and you let him love you. Let's pray.